Extraordinary Districts, a podcast series from the Education Trust that investigates what ordinary school districts do to get extraordinary results. Hi, my name is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. We believe all students can achieve at high levels, no matter what their background. So we're visiting school districts that demonstrate what's possible. This is part three of our three-part episode trying to understand how and why Chicago public schools have improved. In the first two parts, we looked at the data demonstrating Chicago's progress. And we saw that amid a whole slew of school improvement efforts, Chicago's foundation community funded a unique partnership with university researchers who examined why some schools improved and others didn't. One of the key insights that emerged was that schools led by effective school leaders were more likely to improve. And unless schools had effective school leaders, other attempts to improve schools were likely to go nowhere. Today, we're going to hear how that insight has played out. Let's start with one of the people at the top of Chicago School District. Uh, my name is Janice Jackson. I am the Chief Education Officer for Chicago Public Schools. I should say, Chicago has a Chief Executive Officer who is responsible for the district operations as a whole, and then it has an Education Officer responsible for academic progress. Jackson is in charge of academics. I asked her what she thinks has driven Chicago's academic improvement. If you think about what's been happening in Chicago over the past few decades, I will point to a few things. Number one, really changing the, the method for reform and transformation in our schools in that we believed in empowering the local school principal. The notion is that principals have to, number one, be instructional leaders and principals are the greatest lever of change. There's been a concerted effort throughout the city to support those efforts. We really transform what it means to be a principal and a lot of that work is here in Chicago. We're a model for the country and I believe that there's a direct correlation to that work and that approach to um, the higher graduation rates and higher test scores that you see here in Chicago. Jackson was herself a principal for many years. In part two of this episode, we heard about the Principal Preparation Program at the University of Illinois Chicago, often called UIC. Ordinarily, their students enroll in order to become a principal. Jackson was a sitting principal when she enrolled to get her doctorate. There are some candidates we've brought into our program who are going to succeed whether we're any good or not. And Janice is one of those kind of people. That's Steve Tozer, the director of UIC's program. The school she was leading when she entered UIC had gained notice for its results. It was the lowest high school dropout rate in CPS, and it was because she did this in a non-selective West Side African-American school in the most violent neighborhoods in, on the planet. Arnie Duncan offered her the opening of a new showcase school on the West Side that was going to need great leadership. This school was not going to be an easy one. And uh, so they opened Westinghouse under her, under her leadership. She went ahead and mentored a whole series of good leaders to come out of there. On Tozer's recommendation, I went to visit Westinghouse High School, the school Jackson opened. It is on Chicago's west side, and it has about 1,200 students, more than half of whom are African-American and more than a third of whom are Hispanic. Eighty percent of its students come from low-income families. 
Most students come from the surrounding neighborhood, which has been plagued by the violence Chicago is known for. Jackson led Westinghouse for five years before going to the central office. To get a sense of the leadership she brought to Westinghouse, I want you to hear what assistant principal Terrell Burgess says. Burgess had come to Westinghouse as a veteran Chicago teacher. He was used to schools where getting things done was a question of who you knew and what kind of relationship you had with them. But my life changed one day when, like, Janice Jackson, Kate Jackson called me in her office and she said, look, you're looking at this all wrong. She said, I don't like you, I don't hate you, it's not about you. She said, it's about the work of, you know, helping kids grow and you're either about helping kids or you're not. And if you're not about helping kids, then you can't help me, you know, carry out this vision. And it changed my life because it wasn't, then it wasn't personal, it wasn't politicking, it wasn't playing, you know, you didn't have to jockey for a position, you just had to demonstrate what you were good at and do it. When Jackson left Westinghouse, the local school council agreed with her recommendation that they hire Patrick McGill as principal. McGill is also a graduate of the University of Illinois Chicago's principal preparation program and was one of Jackson's many protégés. During my visit, McGill stood at the front of a classroom with about a dozen teachers and administrators and told me his philosophy of leading a school. He said that his job is finding people for the right leadership opportunities in the school. Not only cultivate them as leaders, but let them know that they're valued and that they're doing amazing work and contextualizing that work. That day at Westinghouse, I heard presentations from teams of teachers who themselves led larger teams who worked to improve the rigor and quality of the curriculum and the professional development of all teachers. Another team helps students be successful in their freshman year, and in a couple of minutes we're going to return to that issue. But for now, the point I want to make is that McGill sees his job as providing teachers with those leadership opportunities. Andrew Johnson is a, a perfect example of this. Andrew Johnson is a social studies teacher at Westinghouse. In his previous school, he had started working on developing a system to keep close tabs on which colleges students were applying to and at what stage their applications were. Although a commercial computer program does some of that, it drops the ball in some significant ways. Johnson had started working on a way to fix those problems, and his previous school had seen improvements in the number of students going to college, and the quality of the college they went to. He said he had interest in this post-secondary stuff. I said, well, show me what you're talking about. Like, what'd you do over there? And he showed me the spreadsheet. I could have easily like, been like, oh, yeah, thanks, I got counselors. Or I got a post-sec coach. Instead, McGill teamed Johnson up with the head of the counseling department, and together they built a system that allowed them to ensure that almost every single Westinghouse student applies to, is accepted by, and enrolls in some kind of post-secondary institution. Mostly they are going to four-year colleges. This is quite extraordinary for such a high-poverty high school. Where if I had said no, or I hadn't acknowledged those things, or if I hadn't if I had chose to go the other way, the school would go the other way too. Or and people would have been disenfranchised and said, I really want to do this work, so let me kind of look around for another place where I, could, yeah. where I could do it, right? Which happens. The second voice you heard there was that of Cynthia Barron. She's part of the program at UIC that provides ongoing coaches for new principals. And not only is she McGill's coach, but she coached Janice Jackson when Jackson was principal of Westinghouse. To her, the key of principal leadership is as follows. 
of how you really develop teacher leaders and then create the systems and the structures, right, so they can operate effectively and do their work. You know, the UIC program, but it's where we really focus a lot of our attention. That some school leaders see systems for systems' sake, right? They don't see the systems in, in alignment with, if we want our kids to be successful, we've got to create the system that support and defend uh, their being successful. In a way, Barron was responsible for McGill becoming a principal in the first place because she also coached the principal where he taught, Englewood High School. I'll let McGill tell you that story, and in the process you'll see how he thinks the job of principal has changed in Chicago. I honestly believe that the landscape of school leaders has completely changed in CPS over the last 10 to 15 years. Like, completely changed in terms of the quality of principals that are now in schools. When I had my first uh, teaching job, it was a dysfunctional school, like at the highest levels. And it was a high-need school. But that's where I fell in love with teaching, because there were so many bad teachers there that the students loved you if you were a good teacher that tried so hard. So I was like, this is amazing. Like, and all the students, you know, everyone wanted to do labs, and all the other teachers are saying, like, you're going to let them use a Bunsen burner? Are you crazy? Like, they do what I tell them. They just want you to teach them. You should try it. You know, and, and, and so uh, I, I was a little jaded. I thought, like, maybe the only way you can impact change is, like, in your classroom. So I literally locked my door and I was committed to being a great teacher. Locking the door is a typical reaction of teachers in dysfunctional schools, but listen to what happened when he went to Englewood High School. Then I went to Team Englewood, and at the time there was a great principal, Peggy Corellis there, who was very organized, happened to be trained through the UIC program. With Dr. Barron was her mentor, and this changed my world about what leaders could actually do in a school. Because she had people organizing teams, she had people doing more together than they could ever possibly do themselves and and that like made it a reality for me like oh wow I can actually have a bigger impact as a school leader it is possible in this bureaucracy to change like the the whole school and that actually motivated me I, I actually went up to her I'll never forget this as I said what program did you do because I want to be the leader that you are and that inspired me to actually apply for the UIC program Today, almost one-tenth of Chicago's principals are graduates of UIC. But they aren't the only principals leading change and improvement in Chicago. Here's Janice Jackson again. But in CPS, in addition to having the state licensure to be a school administrator, we have an additional step, and it's the principal eligibility pool. And it's really a robust process to make sure that only the right people are in this pool of applicants so for LSEs to select. Remember, LSCs are the local school councils which hire principals. And we think that that has been um, a, a critically important point um, that contributes to our success as a district. That principal eligibility pool is how Chicago ensures that all new principals meet high standards, no matter what program they graduate from. We're not there to, you know, make sure you understand instruction. That's one of the competencies. But the one that we value and weight the most is your ability to develop other people. Can you develop teachers to be high-performing teachers? Can you develop parent leadership within your building? Can you develop student leadership in your building? Um, can you create conditions for children to be successful? So we look for those types of things and, and attributes in folks before they're able to become, you know, in this pool that local school councils then choose from. 
So Chicago has made a big bet on principals as leaders of change and improvement. That doesn't mean that all school leaders meet Jackson's standards yet, but the city is working toward that. The next question for Chicago is, how do those principals know what problems their schools should tackle? As Janice Jackson said, working in schools is really difficult. Oftentimes it feels insurmountable. Here's where the University of Chicago Consortium on School Research comes back in. And I think that's one of our big, most important jobs, is to figure out what are the things that it's really crucial to be focusing on. That's Elaine Allensworth, director of the consortium. Her point is that for many years, adults in schools have acted without really understanding what is going on under the surface. Here's an example from Chicago's past. We had a district where only about half of students were graduating, and the reason they weren't graduating is because they weren't passing their classes. And a lot of people assume students don't pass their classes because they don't have the skills coming into high school to succeed. And we find that, no, that's not true. Even students that are very strong often fail in high school, and they're failing because they're not coming to class, they're not putting in effort, and the tr there are a number of things that happen over the transition to high school that leads to that. Essentially, Consortium researchers found that if ninth grade students were regularly absent or failed more than one class, their chances of graduation dropped dramatically. This was true no matter what kind of academic record they had. So the researchers developed a new set of indicators they call freshman on track. You know, with that information, the school district started um, putting out um, uh, you know, these monthly reports to high schools showing what's happening with their ninth graders in terms of, you know, who's falling off in terms of attendance, who's falling off because of low grades, so that school teams could get together, look at the data, figure out who they need to reach out to, right? So before students are have already failed, find out who might be failing, right? And so you can get ninth grade teams together. Some schools have on-track coordinators that will look at who's um, you know, who's at risk of failing over the term and bring in the student, the parent, the teacher to talk about why is the student failing? There may be a million reasons. Here's Janice Jackson, the city's chief education officer, talking about the effect that freshman on track indicators had when she was a principal. What was pretty striking there is that it wasn't just research that may or may not be accessible for the average practitioner or actionable, um, it was really, it, it, it empowered us. But when we saw the freshman on track data and saw that the research clearly says that if students are successful in their first year of high school, they are three times more likely to graduate. Principals, teachers, counselors, they really latched on to that. High schools across the city created teams, like at Westinghouse, to pay attention to students who missed class or who were failing classes to find out what help and support they might need. Sarah Duncan is co-director of the Network for College Success at the University of Chicago. The network works with groups of high schools around the city to improve their graduation and college-going rates. Hear how she talks about the kind of work high schools are doing to react to their ninth-grade indicators. If teachers are entering grades, there's meaningful data every two weeks, so you can try something. We're going to say we're going to have a tutoring program at lunch for the students who need help. It's a, you know, voluntary, you know, we'll set aside some tables in the cafeteria, teachers are going to sign up and volunteer. We're going to try this as a freshman team. Um, and you can try it, and you can look in two weeks and see if kids are getting better grades or not. If not, 
Teachers can do something differently, like making the tutoring mandatory. So you can see what's working. You can make adjustments as a, as a school or a teacher team. And so these short data cycles are extremely important for driving improvement. She is describing a cycle of inquiry in which educators look at their data in light of research, try something, and then act on results. Here's another principal, Mary Patricia Beck. She leads Sen High School on Chicago's north side. And she's talking about more recent consortium research. Not only is freshmen on track important, not only is getting kids through the freshman year you know, vital to their success, now they're finding that students, it's not ACT scores, it's not SAT scores, but students who have a 3.0 or better are 50, it's, I think it's 54% more likely to graduate from a four-year university. It, basically the hypothesis is that 3.0 shows that students have academic habits, they have the ability to take what a professor or what a teacher is saying, translate that into whatever the academic need is, and then be successful. They know how to like do school, right? The research she's talking about is, again, from the consortium, and it shows that if Chicago graduates don't have a grade point average of B or better as high school freshmen, they are much less likely to graduate from college. How do we now make, you know, make sure that 50% of our freshmen are at B or better by the end of the year? How do we make it so that next year is 75%? How do we, and not inflate grades. To talk about how high schools are responding, here's Sarah Duncan again. Remember, she works with networks of high schools to look together at their data in the light of research. So after you've done your, you fix your sort of consider your discipline policy, you get your teachers meeting, you, you know, you put stuff into place, you start intervening for the kids who are, um, st you know, still doing poorly in various classes. When you, when you continue to look at the data, especially once the kids are coming to school more consistently, you can see real teacher effects just in the grades. And so, you know, say we're all teaching freshman algebra at a big school, right? We don't have the same pass rates. It, it, you'll see variation in the data. And in the best case scenario, you can ask a teacher, you know, you can ask a teacher who's the most successful to share her practices with the other teachers. You could um, try to do some, release her from a class once a, every two weeks to visit your lowest performing teacher. You can also move the teacher, since we know for sure, and this is the beauty of the research, we know for sure that freshman year matters and it seems to matter more the more we study it, right? This is really important. You, you move your teachers with high failure rates out of freshman year. I want you to hear Elaine Allensworth comment on what Duncan just said. I just I think it's a great example of using research as well as data. Like the data doesn't tell you anything unless you have the research behind it that you know points you in the right direction. What Allensworth means is that traditionally many high schools, without the benefit of the research, have put their least experienced teachers in ninth grade and have had ninth graders take easy course loads as a way to ease them into high school. Well, then you're starting behind in your ninth grade year forever after. That isn't a casual opinion. Allensworth has a mountain of research to back that opinion up, which is why an intense focus on the ninth grade experience has permeated throughout Chicago. Today, you can look up how any Chicago high school is doing on measures of freshmen being on track. And what you'll find is that in general, the schools that have the best freshmen on track records also have the best graduation rates. And in general, those schools have principals who understand how to lead teams of teachers who act on their data in the light of research. So the, the, this ability to create real learning 
um, which sounds funny because these are schools, <laughs> but um, but the ability to create real learning for the adults is at the is at the heart of um, of actually improving things for kids. So. We're coming to the end of this episode on Chicago, and just as I warned what happened in the beginning of part one, there is a lot I haven't talked about. Things like the city's expansion of the International Baccalaureate Program, which was done in response to the consortium's finding that students who took International Baccalaureate classes were more likely to do well in and graduate from college. And the fact that school police officers have been given training on how to respond to children who have suffered trauma. That was in response to the consortium's research saying that students who feel safe in school are much more likely to achieve academically. As I said in the beginning, there's a lot going on in Chicago. It's a really big district. And if I didn't make it clear, I should also say the progress it has made is uneven. For every school that's doing well, there are plenty that are not. Its graduation rate of 74% is a huge improvement over 20 years ago, but it's still not good. But here's the point. The district has improved, and it has improved for all groups of students, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, upper income, and lower income. Its improvement is uneven, but it's steady and solid, and it has a clear roadmap in place to continue that improvement if it doesn't get waylaid by the many obstacles in its way. Here's one obstacle. Many people in Chicago and Illinois don't even recognize that Chicago has made progress. One rather important person is Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner. Here's what he said in June of 2016. The simple fact is that when you look objectively at the status of Chicago public schools, um, many of them are inadequate, many of them are woeful, and some are just tragic. Many of them are basically almost crumbling prisons. Right now, Chicago Public Schools is suing the state of Illinois in an attempt to get the same kind of funding that schools in the rest of Illinois get. In the meanwhile, Chicago has a funding crisis that has caused it to cut budgets year after year. The district's chief executive officer, Forrest Claypool, even threatened to close schools early in 2017 before Mayor Rahm Emanuel said he would fund the last few weeks. This kind of continual crisis is worrying. And we are really in danger of um, sabotaging something which is worthy of some celebration. That's Jesse Sharkey, the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union. I'm going to let him talk about exactly how he thinks that might happen. There were in Chicago 5% cuts to student-based budgets. Um, over the last couple of years. And this seems a little wonky, but basically the way it works in Chicago is that principals get an amount of money based on the number of students they have. And that money's been going down. And so what it means is that a school could hold a a steady enrollment, but need to shed positions because the amount of money they're getting is less. And so the first teachers to go are the library teacher the extra art teacher that you were carrying. In other words, it's the specialist teachers that go because, you, because you're not trying to like fire a third grade teacher and have a second, third grade split. That's a disaster to your program. You, you keep both the second and third grade teacher, but, but you, maybe you get rid of a couple of specialist teachers. Well, specialist teachers, as anyone who's been in a school knows, 
aren't just there to teach the kid about the library. They're there to provide time when the classroom teachers aren't in front of students. And so you wind up with these schedules that are schedules so tight that teachers don't have common planning time during the course of the day. So you get, again, you run into this problem of like how to keep this mechanism going at a high level where people are really intentional about, about the work they're doing. Sharkey worries that without shared planning time, teachers won't be able to work together to study the data and research, and that could stall improvement. But he also worries about the lack of school nurses in a city with a sky-high asthma rate and the lack of social workers in a city with sky-high trauma rates. So there are big worries about whether Chicago can maintain its momentum of improvement. But everyone in Chicago knows how high the stakes are. Here's Chief Education Officer Janice Jackson. I really believe education is the best way to eradicate poverty, to get away from the violence, to change that. Like, we have to educate our children. We have to provide them with real alternatives. And for now, the point is that Chicago today is providing a lot more students with real alternatives. Its improvement is not just measurable, but can inform many other schools and districts. I'm going to give the last word to Jenny Nagaoka, Deputy Director of the Chicago Consortium. A lot of people are highly skeptical that large urban districts, that public education, that neighborhood high schools can actually be doing an effective job in serving students. And what we're seeing in Chicago is that is just not true. There is you know, a huge potential. I mean, if you know, if it can happen in Chicago, it can really happen anywhere. So that concludes our podcast, Extraordinary Districts. We've taken you to three very different districts. Lexington, Massachusetts, Steubenville, Ohio, and Chicago, Illinois. Each is a story of improvement and a commitment to excellence. Each demonstrates that the work of improving schools is difficult and challenging work, but each demonstrates that this work can be done in very different contexts. We would love to hear from you about what you learned and what more you would like to know. If you tweet, use the hashtag ExtraordinaryDistricts or send an email to me, kchenoweth at edtrust.org. If we get a good enough response, maybe we can do more of these podcasts. Go to our website, www.edtrust.org slash ExtraordinaryDistricts and look at the resources we have. Among other things, we've linked to Sean Reardon's scatterplot of 12,000 districts, Look and see if there's one you're particularly curious about and let us know. Maybe we can look and see what it is they are doing to be extraordinary. Until then, this is Karen Chenoweth for the Education Trust. Thanks for listening. <laughs>